Welcome to the 2022-2023 Shaft Lecture. The Shaft Lecture was, was established with an estate gift from Charles Shaft, class of 1941. And the lecture focuses on topics related to, quote, fundamental human values, those principles that direct a person's decisions and actions because they clarify what is right and what is wrong, end quote. This year's lecture will be given by Dr. Yuval Levin, Dr. Levin is the Director of Social, Cultural, and Constitutional Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, also known as AEI, where he also holds the Beth and Ravenel Curry Chair in Public Policy. The founder and editor of National Affairs, he is also a senior editor at New, The New Atlantis, a contributing editor at National Review, and a contributing opinion writer at The New York Times. At AEI, Dr. Levin and scholars in the Social, Cultural, and Constitutional Studies Research Division study the foundations of self-government and the future of law, regulation, and constitutionalism. They also explore the state of American social, political, and civic life, focusing on the preconditions necessary for family, community, and country to flourish. Dr. Levin served as a member of the White House domestic policy staff under President George W. Bush, he was also an executive director of the President's Council on Bioethics. He holds an MA and PhD from the Committee on Social Thought at the University of Chicago. We had a wonderful dinner with him with the Quinn Ferguson uh, seminar group and looking forward to what he has to say tonight. Will you please give a Mercersburg wel uh, welcome to Dr. Yuval Levin. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, and thank you for the welcome. It's really uh, an honor to be here. And in just the little window I've gotten so far of uh, the students and the culture here, uh, it's just tremendously impressive. And, and really, it's a, it, it's a privilege for me to be able to talk to you tonight. Um, the, the challenge of what to talk about is no small challenge. There's a lot we might think about together. And I'm happy in, in uh, questions and answers afterward to think broadly with you about the condition of our political culture um, and, and the state of our country. But what I want to talk with you about to begin with um, and to lay the groundwork for some thinking we might do together has to do with the set of challenges that our country is facing now that I think all of you are going to have to think about in one way or another as you, as you grow up into your full citizenship in the next few years. And I want to suggest to you a few ways of thinking, even now, in your roles as students here, as part of the school, in your roles in your families, in your communities, a few concepts, a few ideas that might help you to think about some of the biggest challenges that our society confronts, and that might help you think about how to approach those uh, in a better way in the coming years. For many years now, really, at least since the beginning of the 21st century, it's been evident that American society is living through something of a social crisis. Um, well before the crisis of the pandemic a couple of years ago, before the economic challenges of inflation or low growth that we're in some ways still dealing with now, there's been evidence of a deeper, more fundamental set of problems that are troubling our society. You could see that in everything from vicious partisan polarization in our politics to intense cultural divisions around all kinds of issues in different arenas of American life to the isolation and alienation, even despair, that you find in the personal lives of a lot of Americans, problems that have led to an increase in suicide rates, that have led to an epidemic of opioid abuse in parts of our country. These different problems seem somehow to have common roots. They're related. 
but it's not always easy to pinpoint exactly how and to get a handle on what underlies them, what connects them, what they're really about. We can see that these are social problems. They're, they have to do with how we deal with each other, with how we deal with our differences, with how we think about other people. But when we try to think about our challenges as social problems, very often our tendency is to imagine our society as this kind of big open space that's filled with individuals, and those individuals are, trying, are, are having trouble connecting, right? They can't quite link their hands together. And so we talk about breaking down walls, we talk about building bridges, we talk about leveling playing fields, letting people connect. And that's very important, and all of these things have to be done. But I think that what we've been missing is not just greater connectedness in American life, but something like more structure in our social life, a way to give shape and purpose, concrete meaning and identity to the things that we do together as Americans. If American life is a big open space, it's not just a space filled with individuals. It's also a space that is filled with these structures of social life, filled with what we call institutions. And if we too often now are failing to build belonging and trust, then what we're confronting is not just a failure of connection, but also a failure of institutions across the range of American life, all the way from the institutions of family and community to the institutions of our national government, with lots and lots in between. What do I mean when I say institutions? It's a broad term, it can be very vague, but for the sake of simplicity, we can say that institutions are the forms of our common life, the shapes, the structures of what we do together. Some institutions are organizations, right? Like this school is an institution, a hospital, uh, a business, a church. Those are technically legally formalized. Some institutions are forms of a different kind. Maybe they're still shaped by laws or rules in society, but without that official organizational structure. The family is an institution. It's the first and foremost institution of any society. We can speak about a profession like medicine or journalism as an institution, the rule of law. Institutions, for one thing, are durable. They keep their shape over time. They change gradually and incrementally, right? A flash mob is not an institution. But most important, what's distinct about an institution, and I'll help you understand what I mean by this, is that an institution is a form in the deepest sense. A form is a structure. It's the shape of the whole. So a social form, an institution, is not just a bunch of people. It's a bunch of people who are ordered together to achieve a purpose, uh, to, to pursue a goal, to advance an ideal. The institution gives each of those people a role in relation to the others and in relation to that purpose. And so it says to them, you're a student, you're a teacher, you're the head of school, and you're working together. You each have certain kinds of responsibilities. You each have certain kinds of obligations and privileges. And ultimately, you are pursuing together the education of the rising generation. That's the purpose of the institution. And that means that institutions also, by their nature, are formative. They structure our interactions with one another, and so they structure us. They shape our habits and our expectations. Ultimately, they shape our character. They shape our soul. They help to form us. So that when you're shaped by an institution, you're not just a person floating out there in the world. You're a student at this school, or a doctor at that hospital, or a member of that church, a worker at that factory. And that gives you a particular kind of character a particular set of goals and boundaries and behaviors. There's such a person in the world, say, as a lawyer, right, or a dentist. 
When you grow up, you're going to run into somebody and talk to them for a while, and then you'll say, what do you do? And they'll say, I'm an accountant. And you'll think, yeah, that makes sense. You're an accountant. And the reason it makes sense to you is that you have certain kinds of expectations of the way in which institutions form people, of what it is to become an accountant in the world. And that formative role that, that our institutions play actually has a lot to do with how institutions relate to the social crisis that I started with. I'll say a quick word about how that is or why that is. A lot of Americans, I think, recognize that there has been a problem with some of our most important institutions uh, in this country in recent decades. We've seen for half a century now a kind of collapse of trust in institutions, public and private and civic and political. You see that in public opinion data. It's almost a cliche by now that we've been losing confidence in our institutions. People that say that they don't trust Congress or the courts or American medicine or the police. We're losing trust in those institutions. But we don't often enough give thought to what exactly we mean when we say we trust or are losing trust in an institution. What actually does that involve? Part of the answer certainly has to do with competence, right? We, we trust an institution that seems to do its job well. And if it does its job terribly, we don't trust it, certainly. But there's actually a lot more going on when people talk about trust. Every core institution in our society perform some important task, some kind of work, educating children or enforcing the law or caring for the poor, or providing some kind of service, meeting some need. And it does that by establishing a structure and a process, again, a form for combining people's efforts toward achieving that purpose. But as it does that, as I just said, each institution also forms the people in it to do that work in a particular way, responsibly, reliably. It shapes behavior and character. It builds an ethic around some idea of integrity that's distinct to that institution. And that's why we trust the institution, because we have the sense that it makes people who take that idea of integrity seriously. We trust a political institution when it seems to form the men and women inside of it to take some idea of the public interest seriously. We trust a business because it promises something. It promises quality or reliability, and it seems to reward its people when they provide those. We trust a profession when it imposes some set of standards and rules on its members, and those are intended to make them worthy of trust. When we see that they live up to them is when we trust them. We know there are certain things they wouldn't do. There are, there are things that, a, 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 that our accountant would never sign her name to because they're not true, and an accountant doesn't do that. Right? A priest would never reveal what he hears in confession. A scientist only says what she can verify in a particular way. We have certain expectations of people in certain institutional roles, and we hold them accountable by those standards. We lose trust in an institution when we no longer really believe that it plays that kind of ethical role, that formative role of shaping the people inside it to be trustworthy. That can happen in a lot of ways. It can happen through simple corruption, right? When the attempts that an institution makes to form those people don't succeed in overcoming their bad behavior and end up just uh, masking, protecting their bad behavior. When a bank cheats its customers, it obviously loses our trust. That kind of abuse of power certainly has been part of what has undermined public trust in institutions. It's very much a part of what we see going on around us now, and it's always a part of what goes on. Anywhere there is power, there is that kind of abuse of power, and there are efforts to protect against it. But the fact that this always happens means it doesn't quite explain the incredible loss of trust 
in institutions that we've seen in American life in the last few decades. One further thing I think that stands out about our time in particular is a distinct kind of institutional dereliction, a failure even to try to form trustworthy people, and instead a tendency to think of institutions not as molds of character and behavior, but as platforms for performance and prominence. In one area after another in American life now, we find a lot of people who should, in a sense, be insiders, formed by institutions, acting instead like outsiders, performing on institutions, using them as platforms to elevate themselves, to build their own brand, to uh, become more prominent rather than to become part of something and take on a role that comes with responsibility. You can see this all the time in our politics, on all sides of our politics. Too many members of Congress now, for example, run for office less to be involved in legislative work and more to have a prominent platform in, in, in our culture war politics, to become more visible, right, on cable news, on talk radio, on social media, to build a following uh, rather than to take on a role. You can look beyond politics. A lot of professionals in all kinds of fields now, journalists and scientists and university professors and corporate leaders, rather than play their part in the work of the institutions that they are part of and to earn people's trust by being constrained and shaped by the requirements of those institutions, they find ways to elevate themselves on social media or in other ways and to build their own personal brand as individuals. I hope that none of you spend too much time on social media, but if you do, you know that it's very often an arena where people behave in ways that don't live up to the standards of the institutions that they are part of. We can see that pattern throughout American life. And that distortion of institutionalism amounts, I think, in practical terms to something like the great unasked question of our time. The question is, given my role here, how should I behave? That is what somebody who takes an institution seriously would ask an institution they're somehow involved with or answerable to. And a lot of the trouble that's facing a lot of our core institutions now in American life could be described as a very widespread failure to ask that question. Given my role here, how should I behave? As a president of the United States or a member of Congress or a student or a teacher or a pastor or a worker, what should I be doing here? It's a question that can make us better because in a moment of decision, it can force us to think about what is expected of us, what's required of us, to think about what it would mean to be responsible in this situation rather than just what do I want. I think very often now, the people that we most respect in our society seem to ask that kind of question before they make important judgments. And the people who most drive us crazy, who most often seem like they are the, they are the problem, the people who we ask ourselves, how could they do that? Those are people who fail to ask that very basic question when they really should. I think that's one way to understand the transformation of our expectations of institutions. And it has a lot to do with the broader set of problems that we're dealing with. That transformation has left a lot of Americans with a sense that our institutions can't be trusted, that they're not even really asking for our trust. They're only asking for our attention. And that has left a lot of us short of sources of formation and belonging and legitimacy and unity. It amounts to a failure of responsibility, failing to think about the roles that we have in the institutions that we're part of in our lives makes us irresponsible. And we're living in an age when too many of us are irresponsible too much of the time. And so the question arises, if we see the problem that way, 
What in the world can we do about it? It's a very widespread problem. And the first thing to say about it is there is no obvious and easy answer just lying out there for us to pick up. But I do think that we can say a few things about what ways forward could look like. I think that dealing with this kind of problem requires to begin with a change of mindset, a recognition that the problem has to do with a deformation of our understanding of institutions, and that each of us in the various institutions that we're part of needs to think differently about the roles we have and the obligations we have. That sort of change of mindset is not a substitute for institutional reforms, right? For actually changing the rules, changing the structures of our institutions to make them work better. That is very often necessary. Some of our institutions really do need to change. It's also important, I think, to recognize that there are some serious reasons to be careful and skeptical about institutions and the power that they have. There are obviously many ways in which institutions can be oppressive. They limit our freedom. They limit our choices. Sometimes they impose hierarchies on us. They can be slow to change. They can be hard to move. And more than that, some institutions are literally oppressive. Right? Think about a concept like institutionalized racism. That is not a metaphor. That is a reality for a lot of Americans. And it's very important to understand the ways in which institutional power makes it a reality. The resistance to strong institutions arose for serious reasons. But in a lot of ways, it has also gone further than it should have and has led us to reject the good that institutions can do in the very important effort to reject the bad that they can do. So it's true that institutions sometimes can reinforce a kind of rule of the status quo or a rule of the strong or the privileged in our society. And yet it's also true that without functional institutions, people who are weaker in our society have no hope of vindicating their rights. People with a lot of power and a lot of money are going to be fine, whatever happens to our institutions. People without a lot of power and without a lot of money won't be. To defend them, to defend their rights, to defend their place in our society requires strong, functional institutions. And so to defend institutions is not to defend the status quo, but rather to defend the capacity of our society precisely to make progress. There are all kinds of structural changes that need to be made to our institutions, to Congress and to the courts, to some corporations and organizations. I'm glad to talk about those. But I do think that the common denominator when it comes to a lot of those is that the people inside these important institutions in our society have to want the change to happen. And that means that they have to first see that there are ways in which how they're now behaving is a big part of the problem. That by making key institutions so much harder to trust, we're contributing to a very destructive set of social dysfunctions in America. So that in the end, the answer comes down to each of us, even to you as students here in this school, we can point to all kinds of complicated theories about how to build the trust that's required for a society like ours to work better. But the simplest way is for the people who inhabit our institutions, that is for all of us, for me and for you, to work at being more trustworthy. And we each can work at that. We can give our institutional responsibilities a little more of our time and effort. We can give them more of our identity and self-consciousness. We can understand ourselves a little bit more as defined by the institutions that matter most to us in our lives, judge ourselves by their standards, hold ourselves up to their ideals, take seriously their forms of integrity, align our pride a little bit more with theirs. At a place like this school, that means, I think, recognizing that you're being offered the opportunity to be formed into a better person. 
if you're willing to understand yourself, at least in part, as a student here, as a person with a real investment in a place like this, with a role, with a set of relationships that come with responsibilities, but also with privileges. And so to learn something about this place, about its history and its ideals and its ambitions and purpose, to ask yourself how taking those on could help you to be a better version of yourself. And in the process, you would also be making that kind of commitment, that kind of devotion, a little more attractive, a little more available to other students around you. You'd be creating an environment that is shaped by the purpose of this institution and so is better capable of advancing it and pursuing it. I think it's always appealing, especially to teenagers, to be the cynic, right? To be the outsider who thinks that he or she is more sophisticated than the group, who knows the real deal, who can see through the earnestness and the claims and the ambitions. But I want to share with you an insight that I've learned over 20 years now in Washington, working for a president, working for a speaker of the house, working for a variety of powerful people. I've learned that cynicism very often is naive. It's not actually true. It's not actually how people make decisions. It's not actually how things work. It doesn't really help you better understand what's going on behind the scenes. The fact is that people, including the people you most disagree with, believe they're doing the right thing. They yearn to be idealistic, to be part of something bigger than themselves, to contribute somehow to something that they can respect and be proud of. And even in disagreeing with them, it's extremely important to understand that reality and to think about how that looks from their point of view. I think our culture now very often encourages us to look down on that kind of thing, to run away from that sort of earnestness. But in fact, that sort of commitment and the institutional commitment that I'm describing to you, I think is what a lot of people want in our society. That kind of belonging that it makes possible is what a lot of us need. And so one way that all of us, and as I say, even you here as students can play a part in healing our society's wounds and divisions these days is by thinking consciously, explicitly about how to make the institutions that you're part of just a little bit stronger in some way that's available to you. You can do it by taking part in directing them, or running them, or changing them someday. But you can also do it by playing your own part well, by asking yourself, given my role here now, how should I behave? It's a small thing, but speaking just a little bit differently about how we live together can make a much bigger difference than we might imagine. Small steps like those are really what make great changes possible, ultimately. They're constructive, so they build on each other, and they turn all of us into builders, which is what I think we all should want to be at a time like this. And that, in the end, is really the character of the transformation that we need. You have the privilege to be at an institution that works to earn your trust and gives you an opportunity to earn the trust of others. And I would say, use that chance. Think about how to be part of the solution, and think about it by understanding yourself as part of an institution that seeks to offer you a way to be constructive, a way to be responsible. Maybe I'll end there and we can take questions. <laughs>